All right, so our message tonight uh, from the book of Jeremiah, right after the destruction of Jerusalem, from Jeremiah 40 and 41, Gedaliah, the governor of Judah. Now this is a Beulah that uh, has been found, a, a, a seal, uh, a clay seal that was found that has this name on it, Gedaliah. And uh, it could have been him, it dates from about that time, but there was another man with that same name at the same time. Uh, this guy became governor, as we'll see in our story today. Uh, this other man was not governor. And it says there, it says, uh, it says his name, uh, Gedalia, who was over the house. So that could mean lots of different things. Uh, and the other man was negative towards Jeremiah and persecuted Jeremiah and uh, caused Jeremiah a lot of problems. Uh, but that's a different one than this one, both living at the same time. So this seal that they found uh, could go for either one of them. Uh, I'm not sure exactly which. Uh, it was found at Lachish. Okay, so Jeremiah chapter 40, verse 2. The captain of the guard of Babylon said to Jeremiah, The Lord your God has pronounced this doom on this place. The Lord has done just as he said, because your people have sinned against the Lord and not obeyed his voice, this thing has come upon you. So those interesting words coming from Babylon's, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's chief captain that he placed over the area, saying to Jeremiah that, uh, that this has happened because the Lord, your God, and, and he's using the, the Jewish term for Lord there, the yud heh vav uh, in his sentences. So, so where did he get this message from? I believe he heard it from Jeremiah, or heard or read Jeremiah's writings, or was given to him, or transmitted to him, that Jeremiah was telling the people and the kings to submit to Babylon. This was from the Lord because of our sins, because that's exactly what Jeremiah wrote and said, and this is exactly what he's repeating back. So basically he's saying to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, just as you said, so it has happened. And I free you this day from the chains that were on your hand, and if it seems good to you to come with me to Babylon, and I will look after you, and if it seems wrong for you to come with me to Babylon, remain here, see all the land that is before you, wherever you seems good to go, and convenient for you to go, go there. And that's pretty amazing. Again, they've been slaughtering people and taking everyone captive and not giving people choices of what they want to do and where they want to go. But Jeremiah has been given this special status Again, because he heard God, he obeyed God, and he spoke what God had showed him. And while he was doing that for all those years, he was rejected and hated and, and attempts on his life and all kinds of problems. But God has seen him through. God has allowed him to live through the destruction. And now God is, is blessing him with favor in, uh, from the king of Babylon, whom God said would, God was going to use as his servant. And as he did, to bring about uh, punishment against uh, our sins. So he gives Jeremiah the freedom to make his choice wherever he wants to go. And while Jeremiah had not yet gone back, the captain said, Go to Gedaliah, the son of Achakim, the son of Sephen, who the king of Babylon made governor over the cities of Judah, and dwell with him, or go wherever it seems convenient for you to go. And the captain gave him rations and a gift and let him go. So Jeremiah might have just kind of been standing there, not sure what to do, maybe praying silently as he's contemplating his options. And, and, the, and the captain sees that he's not anxious to go back to Babylon, to go to Babylon with him, you know, where Ezra was and Daniel was. And he certainly would have been looked at 
after good, uh, but he can sense that maybe that's not what he's leaning towards. And so he says, go ahead, go to the governor, or go really wherever you want. I'm setting you free, I'm giving you rations, and, uh, and so here, you know, gift, and so go do, do whatever you want. And so again, God blessed Jeremiah. And so this is where uh, Gedalia is brought into the story, and Nebuchadnezzar made him governor over the, over the cities, and he was the son of Achakim, and who was a good person, who we read about in the book of Jeremiah already, who one time when Jeremiah was being persecuted, he stood up for Jeremiah and protected Jeremiah and kept his situation from being worse. So he was a good guy, doing a good thing, in position, uh, in the king's court, to be able to have an active service. We also read about him way back in the time of Josiah, which was, what about, 20 or so years, the end of Josiah was 20 or so years before this time. So the beginning of Josiah, maybe 40 or so years before this time. And also it mentions Gedaliah's grandfather, Sephan, who was also a good guy. And he's mentioned in that story of Josiah, when Josiah has his people cleaning out the temple and they find the scroll. Now this was after Manasseh and Manasseh had many bad years before he turned to the Lord, and he had desecrated the temple, and, and so Josiah was wanting to, the temple to be remodeled and cleaned up, and they found the scroll of the book. They found the Torah. They found the laws. And they began reading it. Well, the book then was given by those who found it and given to Sephan, who was a scribe. And he took it to Josiah and read it to Josiah, and Josiah uh, commissioned Sephan and his father to then you know, bring about the reformation that was necessary, as well as some others. And so they were good. Both his grandfather, Gedalia's grandfather and his father were good people, written in the scriptures, doing what was right, in positions to do and serve the Lord and to have a good influence, and they did. And so now, uh, they're not mentioned other than being Gedalia's ancestors, so I assume they're dead by now. Um, and, uh, but Gedalia's mentioned, even though, like I said, Achakim, Kam was, was alive not too long ago, a few chapters ago, in with Jeremiah. Since that time and this time, he seems to have demised uh, because he's not mentioned at all. And so Nebuchadnezzar makes Gedalia the governor. Why he chose him, I'm not sure. Maybe because of the father and grandfather or for some reason, maybe on some recommendation. We have no record of him being in the kingly line, no record of him being from the line of David, uh, but he's placed here as the governor, placed in this position. And so Jeremiah went to Gedaliah and dwelt with him among the people who were left in the land. So Jeremiah makes his choice, and he goes to the governor. When the captains and their men who were in the fields heard that Gedaliah was made governor in the land, they came to him. So there were these captains, and I guess they were like guerrilla fighters. They were out there in the woods. They were out in the fields. They weren't there in Jerusalem when it was destroyed and taken. And so they were, again, scattered around. And so they hear Jerusalem's been destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar has taken people captive and have left for the most part and, and made Gedalia governor. And so then they come, and they start coming to him. And it lists some of them. Ishmael, ben Netanya, and Yachohen, and Jonathan, ben and then a whole bunch of other people. But the yellow ones, we're going to see through this story. In particular, Ishmael and Yochahan. So I mentioned them. 
bring them out here now, but a whole bunch of them, all these different um, soldiers, captains of their little ragtag, guerrilla warfare, whatever, they're out in the fields and they come and join the governor. And Gedalia took an oath before them, do not be afraid to serve the Chaldeans, dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you, and I will dwell at Mizpah and serve the Chaldeans. You gather wine and summer fruit and oil and keep them and dwell in your cities that you have taken. Okay, so he makes this oath and says, similar to what Jeremiah said, on serving Babylon and serving the king and it'll go well with us. And he uh, then goes to Mizpah. Now Mizpah was north of Jerusalem and it was where the temple was originally back in Samuel's day uh, before David moves it to Jerusalem. And so he goes to Mizpah and dwells there and he tells the people to gather what you can, gather the crops, gather, you know, everyone's gone, and so gather the summer fruits and keep them. And so he goes down in history as being a good and generous and, and, uh, and righteous um, ruler in letting the people gather and letting them keep him. He didn't overtax them. He didn't say, look, we have lots of needs, and uh, I have lots of needs, and, and I need a palace, and, and uh, we need to rebuild the temple. Give all of it to me. No, he said, you gather it, you keep it, dwell in the land, and dwell in the cities and, and start life and let's, can, let's, let's move on. Verse 11. When the Jews who were in Moab, Ammon, Edom, and who were in all the countries heard that the king of Babylon had left a remnant in Judah and that he had set over them Gedaliah, they returned and came to the land of Judah to Gedaliah and gathered wine, summer fruit in abundance. Okay, so the message is now continuing to go out. It went to these ones that were out in the fields, and now it's gone to even to the other countries, to, to Ammon, Edom, and Moab, and these other countries, and the people start coming back. So they escaped when Babylon came in. They escaped under the problems, and now they're hearing there's chance for opportunity, and they come back. And they start gathering as well, and there's so much fruit. God is blessed with such an abundant harvest that they're harvesting, they're gathering, those that were out in the field were gathering, and now these other people came and they're gathering, and there's still enough for there to be abundance for everyone. And so God is blessing and things are moving ahead. Yachahan and all the captains of the forces that were in the field came to Gedalia and said, do you certainly know that Balaz, the king of the Ammonites, has sent Ishmael to murder you? But Gedalia did not believe them. Okay, so Yachohan and these others, he's the spokesperson, he goes, and all the other captains except Ishmael come to Gedalia and say, Ishmael's not a good guy. He's not one of us. Can't trust him, uh, even though he is, again, a Jew and, and a part of us that way, but he's really a traitor. And he's really siding with the Ammonites. Don't believe him. And so now Gedalia has to make a choice. Who's he going to believe? And he says, no, I, I don't believe you. I can't believe that. I, I know this guy, whatever, and I can't believe that what you're saying about him. Verse 15. Yachohan spoke secretly to Gedalia, saying, Let me go, please, and I will kill Ishmael, and no one will know it. Why should he murder you, so that all the Jews who are gathered to you would be scattered and a remnant in Judah perish? 
So Yochanan is really convinced of this. So he spoke with him with all the other captains, and then some other opportunity opens up, and he goes to him privately, secretly. And if it was secretly, I don't know how we know about it, but nonetheless, somehow it got out, and Jeremiah found out about it, God impressed him or whatever. But secretly he goes to him, and he tells him the same thing. Look, I really believe this. I don't trust Ishmael. I have word he's going to kill you. He's out to murder you. Why should we all perish? All this opportunity, all this is good that's starting to happen again. Why blow it now? So who should he believe? But Gedalia said to Yochanan, you shall not do this thing, for you speak falsely concerning Ishmael. Yochanan was willing to go and murder him. He's going to cut his brakes and have him have an accident. No one will even know. It's going to be secret. I'll give him some poison in his soup or something like that. Don't worry. It's, I'll do it secretly. No one will know. Nope, don't do that thing. Don't murder him. Nope, don't do it. So Gedalia holds firm. He's a nice guy, good guy. Don't do it. That's chapter 40. Chapter 41, verse 1. In the seventh month, which is Tishri, right? So we have Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot. In the seventh month, Ishmael, the son of Netanya, the son of Ishmael, of the royal family, and the officers of the kings, king came with ten men to Gedaliah at Mishpah, and there they ate bread together in Mishpah. Now Ishmael is another beulah, another clay uh, seal. You know, it was used for sealing things you didn't want people reading other than the one you were giving it to, or seal a container or something that you didn't want opened. Anyone? So they had a seal, and that seal says on it, Ishmael, the king's son. It doesn't say which king, it doesn't say which Ishmael. But it dates back to the right time, and his name is Ishmael, and the Bible says he is of the royal family. And it also mentions Ishma, Elishima. Well, Elishima is also mentioned as one of Bathsheba's sons. Now, obviously, it's not just two generations, right? So you have Ishmael, the son of Netanya, and then it may skip a whole bunch of generations, just saying, you know, the great-great-great-great-grandfather of Ishmael, just to get to, to the point, right? So just to point, just to prove that he's of the kingly line, right? So it can mention his, 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 his biological father and then his biological great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, to show that he's of the royal family. So whether it's that particular one, it still says he's of the royal family. So somehow or another, he is from the line of David. And remember, Gedalia is not. And he is. And so Yonkhan might have felt, well, hey, then maybe there's this, you know, uh, plot because he's a rightful heir and he feels a right to do this. And so protect yourself, guard over this. But this just brings a whole lot more into the whole setting here, that he is of the royal family. And so they're eating together, breaking bread together, brings 10 men with him. And Ishmael and the 10 men who were with him struck Gedalia with the sword. So Yachahan was right. Ishmael also struck down the Jews who were with him 
and the Chaldeans who were found there, the men of war. So Nebuchadnezzar left some of the Chaldeans, some armor, some soldiers to police the land, protect, keep Gedalia in, in, in line, whatever the case, they're there. And these 10 guys, 11, including Ishmael, uh, they kill the king or the governor, and they kill all the men that were with him there, as well as all these armed soldiers. And on the second day after he had killed Gedaliah, when as yet no one knew it, certain men came from Shechem and from Shiloh and from Samaria, 80 men with their beards shaved and their clothes torn, having cut themselves with offerings and incense in their hand to bring them to the house of the Lord. And so there's these people coming and they're wanting to make sacrifices, bringing offerings, bringing sacrifices to the house of the Lord. Now I'm not sure what house of the Lord they're in reference to there, because the house of the Lord was in Jerusalem and was destroyed. So they went to Mishpah, and they must have set something up there. And were doing offerings there in Mishpah. And so these guys, 80 people come, they want to give offerings. So Ishmael, I guess he hears about it, he goes out to meet them with weeping as he went along. And it happened as he met them that he said to them, Come to Gedaliah. And when they came into the midst of the city, Ishmael and the men who were with him killed them and cast them into the midst of a pit. So he goes out faking like he's lamenting and, and, and worshiping full or whatever reason. He's, he's weeping and, and, and so come, come to Gedaliah. And he comes and they slaughter these 10, 11 guys, slaughter 80 now. I mean, these guys, you don't want to mess with these guys. That's bad dudes. I don't know how 11 could take over 80. I don't know why they were able to do that. Plus the guards, the Chaldean guards, the Babylonian guards, and, and all the other men, the king. These guys are bad. Ishmael carried away the captives of the Ammonites, uh, to the, uh, the captives to the Ammonites, the king's daughter, and all the people who remained in Mishpah, whom the captain of the guard had committed to Gedaliah. And so he kills the bunch, kills the 80, throws them into a pit, kills the governor, kills all those that are with him, the guards, and then he takes the rest with him, including Jeremiah and Barak, and takes them with him going towards the Ammonites. When Yahahan and all the captains of the forces that were with him heard all the evil that Ishmael did, they took all the men and went to fight with Ishmael, and they found him by the great pool that is in Gibeah. Gibeon. So they must have been out in the field again, doing whatever they do out in the field, and uh, soldiers, and they hear about this, and they go and charge after him to deliver the captives. All the captives who were with Ishmael were glad when they saw Yahahan and all the captains of the forces who were with him, and they escaped and turned around and came back and went to Yahahan. Ishmael escaped from Yahahan with eight men and went to the Ammonites. So in all these battles, killing the governor and the men with him and the soldiers and then killing the 80 and now battling with Yahahan before they're able to escape, Ishmael and eight of the original 10 are able to escape. <laughs> Only two died through all that. That's pretty amazing. But they escaped and they go back to the king 
of the Ammonites, just as Jachahan said was his intention. So pretty dramatic events taking place here. So the question I want to ask is why? Why did God allow all this to take place? Finally seeming to have some semblance, finally to have people coming together, uh, finally having people want to worship and give offerings and, and harvest and prosperity is taking place. Why did all this happen? Why did Ishmael do this? Why did Gedalia fall for it? Well, if we look back at what we already read, Jeremiah went back in chapter 40, verse 6, Jeremiah went to Gedalia and dwelt with him among the people who were left in the land. So it mentions Jeremiah in the beginning of the story, that the captain says, go where you want, and he goes to Gedalia, and that's it. We don't hear about Jeremiah anymore. We don't hear... When Yahan comes to Gedalia and all the captains and says, Ishmael's going to kill you. Gedalia didn't go and ask Jeremiah what he thought. He didn't ask Jeremiah to seek the Lord. And when Yahan came a second time and secretly pled with him again, he didn't go and seek advice from the Lord through Jeremiah. As the Bible says, believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. Here he had a prophet right there among him in Mishpah, who's been right all along. And he ignored him. He had a big decision to make, and he ignored him. And who told him to go to Mishpah anyway? Do we have a word of the Lord that said to leave Jerusalem and go to Mishpah? Do we have a word of the Lord that says to not do the offerings in Jerusalem anymore, even though the temple's destroyed? Whatever makeshift thing they did in Mishpah, couldn't they have done that in Jerusalem? Couldn't they have put something together in the ruins of the temple and cleaned out the debris a little bit and set up some offerings there again? Who told them to go to Mishpah? And who gave them permission to set up offerings there? The scriptures are clear. That I will, God says that when you enter the land, I will show you the city where you are to place it, the place where you are to place, and have the offerings. And here he's going and doing his own thing. He's doing what seems right in his own eyes. And not necessarily in the Lord's eyes. And when he said before the people, I make an oath today to serve the Chaldeans, he doesn't mention the Lord. He didn't say, I make an oath to serve the Lord, and the Lord has instructed us through Jeremiah to be submissive to Babylon for the, for the, in the meantime. He doesn't mention the Lord at all. He doesn't covenant with the Lord. He makes an oath to serve Babylon, and that's it. Even though he had a good father and a good grandfather, and even though he was a nice guy and he let the people keep their produce, and we still have a fast today. He's still recognized on our calendar today. The day after Rosh Hashanah, the third, third day of Tishri, is recognized on our calendar as a fast of Gedalia because he was slaughtered. He only reigned as governor for a few months. And yet still today, over 2,000 years later, 2,000 and several hundred years later, we still recognize him and remember him. 
on the calendar. But I question whether he was worth remembering any more or less than necessarily anyone else. He was warned twice and he didn't take heed. And he didn't seek the Lord to find out from God if that was true or not. No record of him proclaiming an allegiance to the Lord. No word of the Lord giving permission to go to Mishpah. No word of the Lord to set up offerings there. How about us today? We setting up our own religiosity, our own system, wherever we want, whatever we think, doing what's right in our own eyes, giving allegiances before our allegiance to God, putting others first before God. And I don't think it's wrong to pledge an allegiance to the flag of the country you're in any more than I think it's wrong to pledge a commitment to be uh, someone's spouse till death do you part. It's okay to make commitments. It's okay to sign contracts. It's okay to show allegiance. But God is first and foremost over all allegiance. In our marriage allegiance or any other allegiance, God comes first and foremost over all. And Gedalia doesn't mention the Lord at all. The captain of Babylon mentioned the Lord more than Gedalia mentioned the Lord. To who has our first allegiance? God or our commitments at work? God or our spouse? God or our parents or our children? God or peer pressure? God or our nation? Who is first allegiance in our life? And are we following the Lord's directions? Are we following what the scriptures say? Or are we okay just making up our own terms as we go along? Our own set of worship, our own set of ideals. Are we following what the word of God says? Are we depending on the reputation of our parents and our grandparents. Maybe they raised us right, and so maybe we're good at just doing the routine that they set us forth in. Maybe it's become habitual to us. Maybe we're morally okay as far as society goes because we were raised with certain standards. But it doesn't make us godly. Do we love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our might? Or are we just doing things, even attending services? Are we just going through the motions just because that's how we were trained, just because that's what our parents and grandparents did? Or maybe at one time it was real in our life, and maybe at one time Gedalia had a real experience with the Lord, but maybe position as governor messed his mind and maybe he became proud and didn't feel a need to seek the Lord? Is there some decision you've recently made or maybe far back? Or maybe there's some decision you're needing to make right now. Have you sought the Lord? 
Maybe you're just asking advice of others. Or maybe just thinking off of what your gut mind is saying. But are you listening to the Lord? Are you seeking the Lord? Are you coming to him and seeking him for advice? Maybe you're in the throes of a decision to believe Yachahan or to trust Ishmael. Maybe some decision in your life. Someone to marry, someone to date, someone a job to take, a position, an advancement, a promotion, something to buy, some decision you're having to make. Are you laying it before the Lord? Are you seeking him for wisdom, for understanding, for knowledge? To move out and trust in him. Joshua was faced with a similar decision. The Gibeonites came to him and showed, look, we're we're from far away, and look, our sandals are so worn. And he made a pact with them before he sought the Lord. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, people came to him to make a decision. Bees on the taxes and let up. And he sought the advice of this group and this group, but no record of him seeking the Lord. No record of him going to Nathaniel and asking the prophet. Are we seeking the Lord in our decisions? Or are we trusting in our own ability to make decisions? Those are the mistakes that Gedalia made. He didn't put the Lord first, at least not with his words. He didn't seek Jeremiah for advice. He moved to Mishpah without seemingly any reason to do so and set up an offering system there. A substitute. There's only one offering system, Yeshua the Messiah. There's only one way to receive forgiveness. Not by our own works, not by our own goodness, not by how much we give or how much we do, but through the Messiah's sacrifice and that alone. You can't substitute anything for Yeshua's sacrifice for us. He is the ultimate offering. He is the everlasting offering in our behalf. He is who we receive forgiveness. And through his resurrection, we receive power and might to follow the Lord. Are we substituting it? Are we substituting his sacrifice by our good works? Are we trying to balance out our mistakes by, by Yeshua's sacrifice? To make up in place of his sacrifice? Are we seeking forgiveness and receiving forgiveness do we have our salvation on his merits and his merits alone? And not on any works that we do. Delia was going up in the ranks seemingly on his own efforts, and his own good works. And he might be a nice person. He might be a terrific person. He might be a whole lot better than everybody else. He might be remembered 2,500 years from now. But are our names written in the book of life? Because we've received the offering, the sacrifice of the Messiah.
because we surrendered our hearts and minds to God in prayer on a daily basis, because we read his word and trusted in his prophets to lead and guide and direct us in all of our steps. Are we dependent on the Lord and on nothing and no one else? First and foremost, God is our trust and our strength. So as we pray and we think on these things, God's impressing in your mind on anything, any area. Maybe you're in the midst of a decision right now. Maybe you're needing to make a decision. And so when we pray, you want to lay that before the Lord. And you want to say, Lord, I want to go only where you want me to go. I want to do only what you want me to do. I want to be led by you. I want to hear your voice. I want your wisdom to make this decision. And so if you're in the midst of a decision, you want to lay it before the Lord. When we pray, you can do that. Secondly, if in the past you've made decisions without the Lord, and maybe things have gone okay, or maybe things went miserably, but either way, God is convicting you that you should have brought it to him anyway. And maybe it would have turned out even better than it seemingly has. And you want to ask forgiveness and accept the Messiah's sacrifice for that. Then a moment when we pray, you can do that, receive his forgiveness, and receive his cleansing. Third, if you've trusted in anything, any other offering other than the offering of the Messiah to receive forgiveness, you've been trusting in your own good works or anyone else's good works, you've been trusting in your parents' reputation or your grandparents' reputation to give you credit with God and you want to surrender all that and stand alone before Yeshua and receive his forgiveness, his anointing, his covering, his cleansing. Fourth, if you have an allegiance with anything above God, now it might be only in your mind, you didn't have to pledge anything, you didn't have to sign anything, but in your mind, there's something that you have put above God, some allegiance that you're obeying before God. Again, it could be a spouse, could be a family member, could be a, a boss, could be a, anyone of any influence in any way, shape, or form. Anything that you're putting before God. And you want to surrender it and change those, reverse those roles. Could be your doctor or anything, whatever, you know medical profession. I've got to obey them, you know. You want to reverse those roles, put God first, and let God lead you in balanced position as we interact with people and institutions on here on this earth. And so you want that in right relations, you want God to be first and foremost in all things. If that's not straightened in our lives right now, when we pray, we can ask God to straighten that out. So if any of those areas apply to you or some other area that God's been speaking to your heart and mind about, let us pray and let God do his work and bring us into harmony with him. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, Lord, thank you for these lessons. And if Gedalia would have listened to Yachahan, who knows? If he would have sought Jeremiah's advice, the whole history might have been different would have been different. And so, Lord, we ask forgiveness for him and 
and forgiveness for ourselves and mistakes that we've made in our past, when we haven't sought you, when we've moved forward, when we haven't listened to advice that was given, when we didn't seek you to find out whether that was godly advice or not, when we moved ahead and made our own decisions, when we've made commitments usurping the commitments that we have to you, when we put others and things first before you, we surrender all that and we leave it at you. We leave it at your feet. And Lord, as we make decisions today and every day of our lives, Lord, remind us and convict us and compel us to seek you, praying without ceasing, reading your word continually, daily, with a heart that believes you, believes your prophets, believes your word, and the power to follow through, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Make us humble and dependent upon you in all things. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.